All right, it's Jeff Mayhew, it's John Beatty, it's politics and parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm all right. We're all suffering from a little cold, but it sounds like your family's getting a similar boat, but we can get to that later on in the episode. <laughs> yeah, it's that time of year, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially this time around, because this is like the first year in a couple of years where everyone is uh, mixing with uh, without any considerations, few considerations. We have Jim, Jim Pop, you know, everybody's out in Jim Pop together. <laughs> they all came out of their cells. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, yeah, so we, we missed last week's episode, so we apologize to our, you know, our listeners out there, our devoted we were listeners. planning to do our devoted listeners. Yes, we were planning to do an out and about type thing. Um, we had some scheduling conflicts and then some other things happened and we were just like, well, we'll reschedule that and we'll move on to the next week and we'll get back to it. So we're, we're working on that. We'll make some announcements. We have it. And, um, you know, this week we've got uh, a couple interesting topics. Uh, so the first topic we're going to talk about is are we co-equal? You asked me that, John, and you said, you said to me, Jeff, are we co-equal? And I said, what? What does it even mean? Who's we? <laughs> what, does that um, mean? what does that mean? <laughs> well, like, I think, I mean, like, I mean, I deal in, in programming. When you talk about equality, it's sort of like, can you, the values of something of like, is this thing uh, reasonably equal to this other thing? Um, and it's interesting when you think about the president and the Senate and the House and the legislatures and the Constitution very specifically says that they're co-equal branches, and we all kind of recognize that that they're the sent the president does his own thing. He's he's kind of at the beck and um, beck and call of the House and the Senate when it comes to a couple key issues, but for the most part they they sort of work on their own. I mean, like um, I think the House is responsible for originating budget bills. Uh, the Senate's responsible for treaties and responsible for um, setting up the uh, president, uh, approving the president's cabinet and other key members of the of the um, presidency and administration. Um, and then also the, the, the Senate's responsible for agreeing to any treaties. So there's kind of like the, the Senate, the Constitution says like these bodies are generally equal. Here are some key things where they're not. And then for the most part, I think it just sort of sets, lets them run. So as I as I said before, I'm reading this um, really fascinating history of the Senate by Robert Byrd, um, and it's basically speeches he gave on the floor of the Senate about the, the history of the institution. And I was reading about Andrew Jackson, specifically the Senate censures Andrew Jackson. And all I could think of when I was reading this is kind of like it sounds so much like our current day squabbles of the president versus the, the House, you know, who's responsible, party politics and stuff. And so as I read through this. The the key thing is, you know, um, the Senate was not held by the Democratic Party. It was held by sort of the, uh, the I guess, the Whigs at this time. Um, and they weren't particularly happy with Andrew Jackson. I think you could say that some of the things he was doing with the banks at the time was causing issues. And that's another thing where sort of bureaucrats take it upon themselves to try to punish the people that are in charge and end up only causing more issues, which we could probably have a whole other uh, uh, discussion on. But the key thing is the the Senate at some point decides that they need to censure Andrew Jackson for his behavior um, and all these things uh, for what he was doing, especially with the banks. So there's a big set of discussions about this. There's a huge fight about it. And at some point they say like, they agree to censure 
Andrew Jackson. Now, one key thing in the, in the Constitution is the power that the Senate gets is really to try a House impeachment. Like it doesn't really have any other power over the president. So that you could say in one sense that the Senate was overreaching in an effort to censure a president because it can censure its own members. And I think this, this narrative from 1989 talks about eight different senators have been censured throughout the history of the Senate. So like it happens, um, you know, I've been on this local school board and we've had our own uh, internal squabbles and stuff. But I think it's kind of inappropriate for the Senate to try to reach out and try to direct what the president does outside of kind of the normal bounds of like agreeing to legislate, a legislature, legislation and sending out to the president and kind of expecting that the president will sign it or veto it, that the president will faithfully, faithfully execute it. Um, and so actually after this censure, the, uh, the, the Democrats did control the Senate for the, the last like three months of Andrew Jackson's terms. And so there was a second fight in the Senate to remove, remove that, that censure. And so if you look um, through the presidential, uh, the Senate logs, not the presidential, the Senate logs, they actually went back, they voted, they eventually got the votes to remove the censure. So that someone went through the record and they drew a box around the original censure and they wrote and said like, this has been scrubbed out. So it just, that got me thinking about kind of our current squabbles where we've got the House um, and the January 6th committee trying to kind of go after uh, a former president for things that he did while he was in office. And it's just, it, it's just an interesting parallel where you've got the, the two branches of government fighting with each other and trying to have some kind of primacy. And I just think it's, we got to be careful about that because when you kind of stray outside of your lines of, of your prescribed duties, you might have unintended consequences for this. And I think, um, perhaps one of the issues with the January 6th committee might be that there's going to be some kind of overreach and it's just, you know, whatever effect they think of trying to like, oh, we'll, we'll get him now. He, he's gone. It actually might uh, encourage um, encourage people to to rally around President uh, former President Trump and, and you know, it actually have sort of a, a negative effect. And I don't, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. Well, I mean, so I've got a, I love that by the way, like the history nerd in me, is just like, take, I'm literally taking notes while you're talking about that. So FYI. Um, but so I a hundred percent agree because, you know, you said, are we co-equal? Yes, we are. But that doesn't mean that we have equal responsibilities, mm -hmm. right? We have equal power, mm -hmm. power is responsibility, but we don't all have the same, you know, we, equal power, but not equal responsibility. And so the Senate stepping outside of their lines and grasping that power, right? And trying to correct a wrong maybe they perceive by, you know, another part of the government is like, that's not your job, you know? And that, and the reason it becomes dangerous is because that sets precedent. Mm -hmm. And then that shifts the, it shifts the responsibility and the power to the Senate for future uh, debates, right? And now they have more. And now that, that sphere of power that we were talking about before, it becomes unbalanced. Um, and then it can kind of roll anywhere, you know, because it's not controlled. Um, so I agree. You can see the same thing happening with the uh, January 6th, right? Like I'm not a Trump, I'm not a Trump guy. Like, I think he did something wrong. I think he's got to, somehow we got to figure out what happened, but at the same time, we got to, like you said, we need to be careful about this. Are the people running the January 6th? Are they, and I'll say, what I'll say is, it's not that I think that they're maybe doing something wrong is that maybe they're letting emotion drive what's happening. Like they were in the room. Like their lives were threatened too, legitimately. And it's like, be careful with that emotion. Slow down, pause, because the steps that you're taking right now 
are going to shape generations of Americans, in, uh, you know, role with the government. So it's like, be patient, you know, and try not to overstep, try not to pull power. You need to, you need to build bridges is what they need to do into the Senate, into the other branches of the government to get people working together, as opposed to trying to what yield, wield whatever the power they can find for their own purposes for success. Because again, when you do that, you grasp more power, you pull it in, you're unbalancing the system and that's not good. I mean, we could argue it's already unbalanced and all that stuff because of 435, but you know, people in power should be cognizant of this when making decisions and doing their job, you know? Yeah, and it's, it comes about like, what's the end goal? And if it's just like a short term, like, oh, we owned him, we got him, we got him indicted, you know, we got us impeded. But at the end of the day, if that causes more problems in the future, then was it really worth it? Um, you know, just another like side note for this, like, um, like I'm, a, I'm a couple decades past this now at this point, but uh, Stephen Douglas, <laughs> he was head of this territories committee and he wanted a transcontinental railroad from Chicago out West. And he knew that the best way to get that done was to have Nebraska and Kansas go from sort of these unorganized territories to real territories. And so in the effort to get his railroad built or a railroad built that would help Chicago and eventually, you know, Illinois, the state that he represented because he was the Illinois senator from Illinois, he ended up igniting this huge fight over the Nebraska-Kansas uh, territory, which ended up causing the Lecompton uh, Convention and sort of that huge fight in slavery. So like that's a kind of like, you know, there's the short term wins, which and but those could end up causing huge long term repercussions. So, you know, I think that's one thing we always preach on this podcast is just sort of patience, uh, perseverance, but also trying to really think properly with what kind of uh, what kind of uh, decisions you make is, you know, maybe there's going to be big consequences down the end. Well, and. So you hit me with some history. I'm going to hit you with a little history. So I've been reading this book, uh, We the Corporations, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they talk about Jackson because Jackson was the, he, he fought against the bank. You, you mentioned it already. And what you can see is you can see a, like a, a perfectly thin line from Jefferson to Jackson, right? And then all the way through the slavery debate, right? Because Jefferson and Jackson was about small uh, government. Andrew Jackson was about more smaller corporations, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, the other side, you can see a line from Hamilton to Clay and Webster mm -hmm. all the way to Conkling and the new Republican Party afterwards, right? And they were about big government and corporation. And um, that anti-corporation or that anti or for the people populist movement that Jackson started, it got co-opted into that slavery fight. And part of that was Stephen Douglas right? And because he was kind of in the middle, Clay and, or excuse me, Webster and Douglas. Uh, it was Webster and Douglas, right? That mm -hmm. kind of worked together at that time period in certain types of legislation. You know, Webster was big corporation. His fight was for that side. And he, you know, he had the, what was it, the big famous uh, or like flip on slavery kind of towards the end of his career where he was kind of, you know, regarded as, oh, I can't believe you, you betrayed your side because he was always, you know, for the freed people. But then, you know, in the trying to make the. Oh, for the compromise. Yeah, the compromise of 1850. He was willing to, right? to, to go against um, what his people, what his state wanted in order to try to keep the union whole. And that ended up costing him. Yes. And, and so like you see this and you read these and you think a lot of these people, their fight they were fighting no one. 
you know, the corporation fight, the big government fight. They were fighting a boogeyman because the 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 small government fight got co-opted by slavery and it became all about slavery mm -hmm. and it wasn't about small government at all anymore. So that allowed big government and corporations to kind of take over. And then I think that's what you see with, you know, the unbalancement of our government is corporations kind of came over and they they pushed those wheels and they, you know, they created the partisan divide that we talked about before um, that, you know, went to censoring, you know, Jackson and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a big problem. And, you know, it goes back to understanding why we have the problems we have, asking the right questions to understand them, and then asking the right questions to get them solved, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I don't know. I was reading that. That was interesting. Sorry, maybe that's a little bit off as the co-equal, right? But it's like, it's the people versus the corporations. They need to be co-equal as well, right? In yeah. some sense instance right because that was the debate like in the 14th amendment debate was about having you know they were talking about defining citizen which they never did during the revolution and there was this idea that conklin came up with that they didn't use the word citizen specifically so they could use the word person as a as a way to include corporations mm -hmm. it was totally bogus right but it expanded and started this corporate rights movement that more moved forward and when you have like when a corporation, which is a small number of people comparative to like the state, right? Yeah. In comparison, there might be like five corporations, right? But a hundred million people, and uh, those numbers are off. But it, you know, it it centralizes that power away from from them, and it hurt, it hurts. And there was nobody fighting that battle um, anymore because it was all about slavery and whatnot. And I think I got a little off topic here. I got distracted with my number. No, but it, I mean, it just goes back to like again, balancing power, making sure that people use the appropriate means that are prescribed so that you, um, that you are able to actually govern correctly. Well, and you know, back to the idea of co-equal. Co-equal does not mean we each, you know, we, the people, the, the Congress, we, the Senate, we, have, we don't have the same things. We don't have the same responsibilities. Co-equal is we have the equal amount of power. You know, how we wield that power is up to us, but we're not allowed to take or grab other people's power. And that goes for the executive as well. And um, making sure that the people elect representatives that understand that is vital in a functioning democratic republic. <laughs> Let's move on to the next segment. We're going to talk about our local elections here. So we are, you're in Loudoun County, I'm in Prince William County. Um, my county is divided between the 10th and the 7th. Your county is all the 10th, right? Mm -hmm. All the 10th. So uh, we obviously ran in the Republican primary in the 10th. So we have, you know, skin in the game, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> battle scars. <laughs> at battle scars. I don't know about that. It was, there's was no scars. I think everybody was quite kind, uh, you know, other than you towards me. You know, that, that was, right. that was still not talking some... to each other after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then the seventh, because, you know, it's in, it's in the district and whatnot. And uh, I pay attention to it because I go to the meetings. I've, I've met, you know, people that are working and whatnot. So um, what do you think about what's going on? Like, I mean, so let's, let's frame it. Yesterday, uh, Yesley, uh, I think, did, a, did an event with Tulsi Gabbard, which I have, look, I have problems with as, you know. <laughs> and then... You know, Spamberger tweeted something kind of immature and childish at Yesley, and I think Yesley responded in a, 
immature, childish way or vice versa. I can't remember who started it. Really doesn't matter. Like I tell my kids, it doesn't matter who started it. You both acted like kids, children, right? Like you're both in trouble. Um, and, you know, so there's, are we, are our representatives representing us? Because I want somebody that's coming from my county that goes to my board meetings to be, you know, to hold that responsibility up, you know, to be an adult about it, even if the other side's being a child, you know? That's right. And then the Senior other part firm. is, yeah, you know, lead by example, right? Um, and then the other part of it is, Tulsi Gabbard, like, she's been a Republican, or is she even a Republican? Like, what is she doing here? Like, what is the point other than entertainment value and name recognition? What does she stand for that, like, we stand for exactly? You know, other than the fact that maybe she supports Trump now? Like, I don't know. Like, she's a big Bernie supporter from what I've understood. Yeah, like, how is that, like, a, a, a local Republican value? Like, why are you excited to have this person out, like, supporting you? I believe that Tulsi Gabbard said that she thinks that it's a, a woman's right to choose, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, look, I have no problem with you working with somebody that disagrees with you. In fact, I encourage it. We should work with people we disagree with. I guess what the problem I have is, when I ran for office in Prince William County, and I had my first event, like the people in the room wouldn't let off of that question, mm -hmm. the Roe question, the abortion question. They wanted a solid answer, yes or no, where you stood, right? And I, I'll be honest, I didn't have a solid answer at the time because I was still learning. Like I was still reading Supreme Court stuff and trying to understand what was going on. So I'm like, look, this is what I believe personally, but as far as like legally and stuff, I don't know where I stand. So I'm, I'm not going to give that. They didn't like that at all. How are they okay with Tulsi Gabbard coming into their, their local county Republican Party. That's got to be, like, I don't know. Like, they were right to say, you need to have an answer on this, to me. And they would, I would say same thing to Yesley. Like, you need to have Tulsi talk about this. Let's, let's talk about this really serious issue that is really important in this district, um, as opposed to just winning. Right, like, what is, what is it that brings you two together other than you're just both owning the libs? for uh, personal branding uh, gains like because um, I mean I, I was reading up again about this like I don't I don't I think there's very few things that uh, policy wise I'd, I I would see with Tulsi Gabbard um, and it's you know again like people can change like I, I think that's something you got to give someone the benefit of the, of the doubt for but I would expect that that um, it's, and, you know again the Republican Party has no platform so it's as you said, like what makes someone a Republican? Well, I think you just you say I'm a Republican and that's it. Like I don't I don't think there's any skin in the game for what you have to give up or what you have to agree to in terms of party playing. So it's really just like, well, um, we don't like the Democrats, and so if you don't like a Democrat, you're a Republican um, de facto. Um, so I mean, maybe that's what it all that that it takes to campaign with other people. But I think that's such a poor um, substitute for actually having policy issues. And then again, like if okay, so. Well, you're campaigning as well. We don't like the Democrats, and then when you win, what's what? What should people expect from you? Um, because that just means that when you try to do something that someone from your your not liking the Democrats coalition doesn't like, they're going to let you know. And then you know, are you going to actually follow through with what you stood for, or are you going to do back off because you said, well, someone doesn't really like it? Um, which again, like you know, it's good to listen to people, but again, if you're going to run for an office ideally you're running on particular issues rather than like i just don't like these people uh, and i think like that's 
I would say that's the reason why we get so frustrated with our elected leaders is because they run on, I don't like this other person. You don't like this other person. That's what we got, you know, like breakfast at Tiffany's. That's what we have in common. Um, right. Well, I mean, and that's, that's the point of bringing somebody like Tulsi in, right? It's like, hey, look at us. We don't like the same person. Vote for me. And it's like, all right, cool. But what about the conversation about the serious issues that are dividing us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that what like the two of you have been hired to do realistically is to have debate about these serious conversations? Wouldn't this be a great opportunity to have like instead of like a rally, maybe like a 30 minute sit down like discussion on why they yeah. both support or disagree with like their your, their abortion stance, mm-hmm. right? Like have a serious debate about it. Do it on a podcast, right? Like th- that's got to be more that's got to be better content for your voter base than a rally that a lot of people won't be able to see or ever hear you're putting it on on record you're putting it over the internet and anyone can go find it and it's serious i think if a candidate did something like this then i think the media would pick up on it if you know you're you're bridging across aisles it's a great opportunity because she just left the democratic party let's have a real discussion about real policy issues but i think the problem is is the candidates who are the people that should be thinking about this, they're not running the campaigns. The campaign managers are running the campaigns mm-hmm. and they're worried about numbers and fundraising and and votes. And so they're like, this is the best way to do that. So that's what we're going to do. And nobody's really thinking about the people. What's the best thing for the voter base? What's the best thing for the people that you're actually running for? What's the best thing you should be doing as a representative, regardless of whether you win or lose? And when you have a platform and you have an opportunity, shouldn't you be taking advantage? Well, that actually, I'm thinking now of one thing that probably Tulsi and I strongly agree with. It's about like, Tulsi is very adamant that men shouldn't be uh, participating in women's sports, you know? And so I think that's one thing where you could, you could go back to your round table. You could have a 30-minute discussion on that. The problems <coughs> that we see, the, 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 the records that are being stolen from women by men who are going, through, um, going into women's sports and trying to, uh, you know, because they feel like that they, they should be in this arena. So I, like that would be a, a powerful 30 minute interview between the two of them. And you could actually have some kind of solid discussion about it, perhaps policy recommendations, perhaps things that, that you could actually rally around other than like, well, we don't really like these people. Right. And that's a great because now you've, you've taken my the idea that I had where they disagreed with something and you put it in a room. It makes it comfortable for them now. Mm-hmm. Right. Make, now it's now your job's even easier. Right. Now you get to you get to talk in your echo chamber about the thing you agree with, which, by the way, I also agree with, too. But I just, you know, it's a it's a great way to engage your voter base and to do that. What's their job again? Right. Is to li- to listen, listen. to <laughs> or listen or, and, you know, and inform. Right. This is an opportunity for them to inform. Um, but uh, let's let's move on to the 10th race where, which, by the way, hold on. We barely mentioned Spamberger there. Um, I mentioned the texting between uh, Yesley and her. But and, and look, it's a ding on Yesley a little bit. But Spamberger is an elected official. OK, it is her responsibility Yesley's working for that responsibility, but it isn't hers yet, right? Mm-hmm. So Spamberger has a higher bar here. She absolutely should not do this. It's disrespectful to the office. I don't care. Like, I don't care. I don't care about all the Trump tweets and be like, oh, well, they did it. I, I don't care. Be an adult, right? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be leading, especially in this very tumultuous time. I think our leaders have more of a responsibility to hold that send button. 
this is what I do a lot. I type it and I go, nah, delete. And then I just, and then I move on, right? It's like, we can do that as public officials. That's okay. <laughs> well, uh, the, that goes back to the thing that Lincoln would always do. He, he would literally write angry letters and then he would just make a note like written on this day, not sent, and then file it away. Because he was document, you know, documenting it, getting it out. Um, which, you know, maybe there's a little bit of childish aspect of that. But again, the key thing is at the end of the day, you don't send it. You don't hit send. You don't press tweet. Yeah, right. It's it's not a hard concept. And I think that Spamburger should do better. Let's face it. Um, all right. So now let's jump to the 10th uh, where we've got Wexton. We've got Cal. And I know that you have a story where of an uninspired person about Cal on the Republican side, I have a story about somebody that I talked to on the Democratic side was uninspired with Wexton. It seems like it's a very uninspired uh, district right now, which is disappointing. And it leads into a conversation I had with somebody on Friday. They said, why can't the Republican Party get better candidates? And I was like, well, I ran for office. <laughs> Don't <laughs> look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> No, I mean, look, he wasn't, you know, I don't think he was, he wasn't implying anything serious, but he's just like, you know, Wexton is completely beatable. The Democrats know she's completely beatable. Yet, you know, I, I went on uh, Matt Lewis's podcast for like a little fan thing and asked Steve Korniak a question, and it was about the 10th and the 7th, and he didn't seem to think that Hung has much of a chance in the 10th, which I thought... I think Hung still has a chance. I just, I think people are underestimating how bad the Democrats are right now. Like, I mean, especially in this district, but you're in Loudoun County, you know better than me because most of the, the district's out in your side now, not mine. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you, what do you hear out there? Well, I mean, I, I haven't gotten any mailers, but again, maybe I've been blacklisted because of that. So actually, I'm sorry. I, I have gotten <laughs> mailers. I've gotten some two very well done mailers from uh, Congresswoman Wexton. Um, and they're very well done because they are, look like campaign material, but they say that they're paid for by her congressional office. So she <laughs> has the right lawyers and, uh, is, is following it, but it's just like, she's, it's just, you know, again, like the whole, um, thing during our, our kind of primary was like, where's Wexton? What has she done? And immediately, um, after that, the, one of the things I got in the mail from Congresswoman Wexton was like, here's a couple things I've done. And, you know, they're kind of run of the mill, um, but they, it just kind of puts in the mind like, well, she has done things. Maybe it's just sort of under the scenes or something. Like, I remember there's like 11,000 constituent requests handled. And it's like, A, what is a constituent request handle? Is that like someone asking for a flag? And you're like, no, you can't get a flag. Sorry. You're like, you know, it could be something small like that. Maybe it's big. Who knows? But again, like, it's just, it's a fancy looking number. Um, and I don't think I've gotten anything from, from any other campaigns. Um, but I was doing my duty as a school board member going out to inform some constituents about this re, uh, rezoning for some of the high school boundaries and the person who was helping organize it from the HOA and and um, someone I knew as we were walking up is like so is how is hunk house still running and like you know I just you know I, th I think that doesn't that isn't good I mean like I, I see signs all over but I'm kind of on the definitely in the western part of the county where maybe there's more supporters I see um, signs throughout for, for both people. But, um, you know, I, I think it's always tough when, when you hear that. And, and, you know, I think I was guilty of that a little bit on my campaign. So I know the sting of people being like, are you still running? Um, but I, I yeah. think like that for, a, or you know, that was just who are you? with 11 people. <laughs> I think when you're going to, it's down to you, the two of you, you hopefully you get more energy behind it.
Well, I mean, you got Are You Still Running? I got Who Are You Again? <laughs> are you sure you're in the right room? <laughs> um, but look, I see, so I'm on the other side. I'm in Prince William County. Uh, when I drive through Noakesville, I see a few hung signs. Um, but look, that's private property. That's like one vote per sign, you know, like there's so many people and I, you know, I see so few signs. I don't think, I don't think that's a good representation of what's going on. Um, I think it's just, I think it comes to voter turnout. I think that um, I read a a poll or something that they're expecting high number of voter turnout uh, this year. You've got the, the long voting time now with the early voting. It starts, you know, a month in advance or two months in advance now. So I think things are a lot different. Um, I think you might be surprised. I think the demographic change in Prince William County over the last five to 10 years, maybe Democrats are underestimating how many red homes they've built realistically. Like if you look at the neighborhoods that have been built, they typically, the new home developments, to, I, from what I can tell, when I knock doors, they vote red. Um, and so it's like the older established, like new money versus old money, right? <laughs> the new money coming in the county seems to be red. I, at least my side of the county. I can't tell about your side of the county because I don't knock a lot of doors out there, but no, I'd, I'd which say is why that. we should have two different districts, by the way. It's, it's too much for one person to handle. It's, it's the, <laughs> the representation. Uh, it's, it's true. No, it's true. Like it's 700,000 people. It's a lot of people to reach out, uh, you know, it's, but, and unless you're going to just um, blitz the airwaves with TV ads, but you know, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but we don't have a TV we're so far out we can't actually get over the air tv we don't have um, any cable to our house so it's not like it's something that we would necessarily be able to get but we've kind of foregone tv because we live in a more rural part of the county that's crazy uh so we have tv but we don't we so my family used to be heavy into tv and over the last few years we're almost like no tv um just because of that but i couldn't imagine not having tv like i need to watch nfl on sunday <laughs> I, haven't, I mean like i used to um, there was an app that was for a while that I would use to listen to Packers radio broadcasts that were streaming over, but the app I think got in some hot water cause it never got updated. And then slowly the radio stations realized that people were listening to their uh, broadcast. So it's just not, <coughs> not available anymore. So I, I just have kind of forgone it. And you know what? I'm not really missing it to be honest. I, you know, that's the thing when I kind of got rid of the TV um, for the most part, or at least made a decision, I thought like, I thought it would be like quitting a drug <laughs> for me, honestly, but it's something that's been exhilarating. It's just opened up so much more time for me to like do mm -hmm. all the things that I keep on saying I wanted to do, but like I was always too busy, but I wasn't really busy. I was, I was making a choice. Um, all right. We're, we've gotten off topic here. We're supposed to be talking about the 10th race <laughs> and we're talking about our TV consumption. Um, so, all right. So back to... We found, I, I talked to somebody, uh, a couple people actually from the Democratic Party locally around here, and they, they seem to be uninspired by Wexton as well. So you've got two uninspired candidates um, that maybe, you know, I think Wexton has a lot of money. I, th I think Hung's challenge is, it is money, right? Like, you know, I give, I give people a lot of crap and say, like, it's bad to want to raise money. But He's, it's, he's at his completely disadvantage, you know, with that feature of not being able to, to blitz the airs with that, not being able to get the message out. Um, you know, my thing is, if he had a different message or any, like, real message, because his message is just the same as everybody else. It's the, the Republican top-down, you know, no-platform platform, you yeah. know. If he had something to say, the money that he did have might be spent in 
and it might take off, right? Like it might get some media coverage, which I think Hung's got some media coverage. He did say something on ABC Seven recently, and he and I think he handles himself well. He's um, you know he's a good family man. I think he has a shot, you know, even though it's it's heavily in, in Wexton's uh, you know court because of the money and the demographic that over the last you know few years. But things can be surprising, and I think the Virginia Party thinks so as well, right? Because isn't Youngkin's campaigning with him? They're having an event on the fourth, uh, a get out the vote event out in Haymarket, actually, where I live. So he he's coming out. Youngkin's given his time, and he's not going to give his time for no reason, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think that's a big deal. And then aren't they bringing Ted Cruz out? Is Ted Cruz coming so, for Hong, or is Ted Cruz coming for out. coming for somebody else? And which look that gets us into a different question, right? Because Ted Cruz is part of that. he's like he's kind of both he's like the worst of both sides in my opinion so ted ted cruz is like the worst of the old establishment and like the new MAGA, and it's like it kills me that yunkin has tied his his name to ted cruz because of that because yunkin seems like such a legitimate like decent human being and ted cruz just look i don't know him personally but every person that writes about ted cruz that comes out of congress says bad things about ted cruz i think there's a famous Al Franken quote about Ted, Ted Cruz doesn't even like Ted Cruz or something crazy like that. I can't remember what it was. but um, And it's like, it's good, I think, for the Republicans if you say, okay, you're bringing out your – I think what they're doing is Youngkin is working with Ted Cruz and other parts to like mend that establishment MAGA wing back together. I think there's you know, just working inside the party, I could see the MAGA establishment wing right the MAGA wing was like the laborers they're the people that knocked doors and the establishment wing was the people that made the decisions mm-hmm. right and like bring Yunkin helped bring those two factions back together and that's what this is and I think that that maybe it could be successful the problem is is like that MAGA wing is getting older and there's less of them every year and they're not replacing it with anything because the establishment's just what they the people they bring in they come they're poly science majors they want a job they want to make money and they funnel themselves into the packs and there's nobody left for the parties (laughs) um and so i i think because of those reasons you know maybe hung has a chance but also let's look at our virginia politics and let's think who do they want to be who does glenn youngkin want to be does he want to be something new does he want to be establishment or does he want to be MAGA? and i think he wants to bring everything together but if he wants to lead, he needs to say it out loud. What are you doing, Glenn Youngkin? What's your objective? Like, inform us. You're our governor. I mean, what do you think? I think he wants to be president. That's what he wants. Well, I mean, look, I'm good if, if maybe, I'm, maybe I'm too, like, reasonable. If Glenn Youngkin came out tomorrow and said, yes, I'm doing this because I want to be president, I'd be like, all right, cool. At least I know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But you're constantly out of state now um, trying to get other governors elected. Right. Like, are you home doing your job? And when you are home, I see you shaking hands with Google and Amazon a lot. Like that doesn't like that doesn't make me feel good as the small business owner. Again, there's a direct line from Hamilton to Clay and Webster to Mm -hmm. Conklin to the like establishment Republican Party, the big corporate interest. And my governor is not in my state and he's shaking the hands of people that take money and funnel it to other states. I don't know. I mean, I look, 
maybe that's a little unfair to Glenn because I'm not reading everything that he's doing because I'm so focused on the federal stuff right now. But I want to hear more from him. You know, I, I don't want to see these photo ops. I want to I want to hear a podcast from Glenn. Tell me what's going on, you know, in my state so I can understand it. I think people would listen. And I think it's important um, when people tell who they are, listen to them. And if he's not going to explain it himself, then we have to we have to deduce it on our own by watching the people he hangs out with. Right. And assume that he's running for president based on that. I mean, like, it, it, it's just like it's you're right. It, I mean, part well, part of Virginia is that you've got the legislature's in session for only a couple months in the beginning of the year. So once he signs or vetoes any bills, um, you know, there's not a whole lot going. I imagine you delegate a lot to people in the administration. So maybe he's just got a lot of free time, you know. It, and, and you know, there's only so much pickup ball you can you can play. So he's got to go around and help people out. Well, well, again, if if all of our representatives now, I've defined a congressional representative's job as listening and informing, and I, I'll I'll be the first one to tell you, I haven't studied governors enough to be able to like define it. But if you apply the same logic to that job as the other job, you would want them to listen and inform as well. So if you got extra free time, maybe help inform your voter base and not of who to vote for but of what's going on in the state right like in 66 where i live they took a four-lane road and they made it a five-lane road but they put dividers up and two lanes are now a toll so they took a four-lane road and they made it a three-lane road and then they gave money away to bypass the traffic they created (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and now I can't get to work on time anymore. <laughs> no, Why did that happen? <laughs> like, Plus I want the, a podcast the interchanges about and everything, and, you know, <laughs> however much they spent. But, you know, there is a bike lane now on the 66, so you'll be happy. You can bike to work. Uh, is it really? I believe that's part of the plan. But it's, That would terrify me. It's so heavily trafficked. Like, I, being on a bicycle would scare me being out there. I think we it's, got distracted it's again. It's protected, but... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm rambling today. It's been a long week. <laughs> All right. Well, why has it been a long week, John? Are you sick? I have some sick kids. No, I have sick kids. So, uh, so the twins, twins are sick. So Sadie on Wednesday started complaining that her ear hurt. We tried to take her in. She got diagnosed with uh, an ear infection. And she was like doing better. And then Eleanor started getting sick. And now they're both sick, and they've been having like 103, 104 fevers up and down all last night, all day long. We've been alternating ibuprofen and Tylenol or acetaminophen or whatever, you, however you pronounce that fancy word, um, and then making sure they're hydrated. And so, like, what do you do when your kids are in this situation, right? Like, you know they need to be hydrated, and they're tied between being tired, delirious from the fever. Like maybe they don't want to just drink water, which we're a water family, right? Like I just think it's better to drink water. We do juice occasionally. And this is one of the times where we pull out the juice, right? We put a little bit of juice in their water to encourage, it's got that extra sweetness and flavor to encourage more drinking, right? And then also like we pull out the popsicles because even that like starts to, and so now they're getting all these extra treats. And, you know, I, I got to tell you for five-year-old girls, man, that have, Eleanor had a 104.9 fever and she's like walking around like a freaking champ. And I'm just like terrified. I do a doctor televisit um, because I'm just worried about the, you know, it's just a, it's a high number. I'm not used Mm -hmm. to it as a parent. I've got five kids and I I don't think I've had a kid with fever that high. 
And she's like, you know, you, you can tell by the confusion. You know, if there's confusion and she's getting up and she's not um, coming back to normal after you give her some water and stuff, then take her to the ER. But otherwise, just keep monitoring and, and doing that type of stuff. Keep her hydrated. Check the fevers. Keep alternating fever medication. And that's really great. And that's, you know, I rail against technology sometimes, but that's an area where technology helped, right? We didn't have to take her in a patient first to get that same advice yeah. because there's nothing really you can do, like get the flu, you know, like it no, maybe it's the flu, it whatever, but you just, you have to, your body has to fight it off. And as a parent, you want that peace of mind to know like your kid's not going to die on you, <laughs> you know, cause stuff like that can happen. Um, and when you see a high number like that and to be able to take 20 minutes and do a televisit with a doctor, pay a lower fee just to get that peace of mind and that understanding about what's going on as a parent. So I know I'm informed to make good decisions. That's great. You know, and that's, uh, that's one of the parts uh, that you have to kind of like learn as you go as a parent is how to handle those different situations. And, you know, my girls are, they're insane. They're both just up and down with the fever and when their fever goes down they act like everything's fine and i'm like no you're still sick go lay down and rest <laughs> what about you you guys you guys got stuff going around too just a cold I mean, no fever so far but a lot of stuffy noses a lot of coughs as you may have heard throughout this podcast um, <laughs> <coughs> <so>. on cue <laughs> on cue but no, we're all for the most. Yeah. I mean, like, no one's down for the count at the moment. So, but we are. We have not been able to find a thermometer, so maybe there are some fevers going through. Oh yeah, we had to go buy a new one. The 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 I the number got so high that I thought the thermometer was broken. So I sent my wife to the store to buy a new one because I was like, no, hundred four point nine. That can't be it. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a new one, and it came up with the same number. We were like, hmm, let's make a doctor's visit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a bad number. Because she, like I said, she seemed, she's, you know, she's a champ. She's like up walking around like, hey, daddy, can I get a popsicle? I'm like, you know, but they can trick you. Kids can, kids can trick you sometimes. Yes, they can. All right. Well, what do you think, John? Was that a good show? It's a good show. Was that a good podcast? Good mix I of history, modern, modernity. Oh, I know. The history gets me. I get, I get tied in and I go sidetracked. We really got to bring Ben. We got to... We need to have a whole podcast about the whole like string between the the corporate side and the small government side and how they've gone together because I got so much on that. But uh, we'll do that in a future episode. Um, anything going on we want to talk about, John? Uh, no, I think we're gonna we're gonna get the ready for the Madison Republican meetings to get start off. I'm <coughs> sorry, in the new year because we got a bunch of holidays coming up, and Saturdays are are tough at this point. So. Stay tuned for for those plans, um, but we're gonna kick off 2023 with a bang. That's right. We're so yeah. We're on pause uh, for our Madisonian Republican meetings for the rest of the year, um, just so we can like organize and plan for 2023. We're gonna uh, plan out a calendar. Um, we've got a leadership staff coming together. Um, that way, we're not doing everything, and we can kind of get the word out and spread it better. Um, we're gonna keep on with the podcast, obviously, and. Uh, we will be doing an out and about um, neighbors type of podcast at some point. So we'll keep you uh, alerted to that. Otherwise, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, um, share if you like the podcast, share and subscribe, like and tweet. Um, peace and love.